Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. You can start turning there. It's a little more than three quarters of the way through the Bible. We'll have the words come up on the screen as well. While you're getting there, I want to tell you a little story. About 10 years ago, we went on a family vacation to Orlando, and we went to one of the days to Disney's Epcot theme park, which, I don't know, it's like, for me, it's kind of one of the lower theme parks there, but I think too much education's going on. <laughs> but anyway, we were, we were queuing up for this ride called the Maelstrom. I have a picture of that come up. This is actually our family at the park that day. A different boat ride, but it was like this boat ride called the Maelstrom. And you know how it is with these theme parks. You go through these long lines. They kind of send you back and forth to keep everybody in order as you're waiting. And everyone's just got to wait their turn. You get there eventually. So we're waiting, our group, and we become aware of this commotion in the back of the line. There's like this intense conversation happening, and then all of a sudden this group of people passes in front of the people in front of them. And then it repeats, more talking, 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 and then whoop, they moved ahead again. And like, what's going on? Well, we, we learned that they were saying, hey, we got separated from our group, and they're on up ahead, and we just all want to go on the ride together. So is it all right if we just cut in front of you? Is it? Is it? No, it's not okay. We all have to wait our turn. We'll all get there. But here's the crazy thing. It worked. Again and again. People let them go by. Until they got to us. <laughs> no mas. But that's another story. Maybe not a church appropriate story. But seriously, how obnoxious is that? I mean, are you guys okay with that? Letting people just cut in front over and over again? Nuh-uh. What, what still kind of um, strikes me with this memory is the shameless audacity of this group of people. And by that I mean they didn't care what anybody else thought. They had something they wanted, and they were willing to make a bold ask over and over again until they got what they wanted. And that is the way Jesus wants us to pray. And that's where we're going today. Shameless audacity. It's going to be a stretch. But let's jump right in. Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. These three verses, pretty well known. We've nicknamed them the Lord's Prayer. And it's a great prayer template, but 
all right, it's kind of clinical, you know. All right, okay, I guess I know how to pray now, but I'm not really feeling inspired to pray. And Jesus moves right on to address that by telling a story. We're in this series called Kingdom Stories, and it's all about how the stories in the Bible or, or, or the parables move us. They, like, they grab our emotions, and they'll move us to faith or, or taking some action that head knowledge alone won't do. So Jesus is trying to get the disciples to want to pray and to show them like, how to approach it. So he tells a story. Moving on in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and get you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Very different feel in this little talk about prayer than the preceding few verses. Now Jesus is trying to unleash this emotion for bold prayer. The title of the talk today is Making a Scene, Parable of the Friend at Midnight, and it's about the kind of prayer that gets results. Because wouldn't it be great if we were seeing results from our prayers? How, what's your hit rate on seeing answers to prayer? I mean, there's stuff we need. There's stuff I need more than bread. I got one thing on my front page right now. In a few weeks, my wife Jackie and I are going to become first-time grandparents. Woo! Yeah. Um, a picture of my daughter Kelly and her awesome husband, Kenny Beachy, uh, due in just a few weeks. And it's a big deal to me that this baby comes on time, healthy, no complications for baby or mom. That's, that's a must answer. I need a yes on that prayer. And I know we've all got stuff. What's, what's one of your must, must be a yes prayers? I want you to, to think of that thing and kind of just bring that along as we go through this talk and we talk about how we can pray prayers that get results. So before we get started, let me pray. Jesus, thanks for this time to study what you've taught us about prayer. I pray right now that you would bring to mind to each person hearing this talk that thing that they need a yes on, that thing that where they need a breakthrough. Be our teacher today, Jesus. Grow us in prayer. Prayer that gets results. In your name, amen. All right, so the first point you can write in on your handout. If we want results in prayer, we've got to make a scene. 
make a scene. I'm not exactly sure what the living arrangements were back in Jesus' day, but I did some reading, and one commentator saying that the homes were very small and one room, and they'd bring the animals in at night, and the family would sleep on like a raised platform above where the animals were. I don't know if that's the way it was, but for sure the houses were not like they are today with multiple rooms and double-pane glass and storm doors. I imagine like they probably had window openings, but maybe like some bars or something, but like they're not going to keep any sound out. So if it's midnight, everyone in the house is asleep. So the guy's got to go and like wake up his friend inside. So what do you do? Well, you bang on the door, right? Do, 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 do. And you're like, hey, wake up! Fred! I need some bread! <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and from the context, it sounds like the guy doesn't even get out of bed. He doesn't, like, come to the door like, shh, come on, you're going to wake the neighbors. What are you doing? He's just like, no, I'm not getting up. Sorry. So he just carries on. Now the neighbors are starting to wake up, dogs are barking, and it gets awkward, and the guy gets his bread. It works. Jesus is intentionally making this a cringeworthy story. There's no discreet way for this man to get what he needs without making a scene. And it works. Verse 8, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This idea of making a scene to get a breakthrough, it's actually all throughout the Bible. You start right at the beginning, Noah. He's building this giant wooden boat for years in the middle of his landlocked neighborhood. And he must have been like a laughingstock. So awkward. But what a breakthrough for every single person. If you're you know, hearing this talk right now, you benefited because Noah built that boat. Right? Because everyone else would have been wiped out. Or how about Moses going to Pharaoh, the president of Egypt, and this awkward conversation. Yeah, all those Hebrews, your source of slave labor that prop up your national economy, yeah, I'm going to have to ask you to let them go. I don't know. How do you think that went? But what a breakthrough for making a scene to birth the nation of Israel. One more example from the New Testament, kind of an outlandish deal. There's a dinner party being given in Jesus' honor at one of the Pharisees' homes. So you can imagine all of the fancy religious types who would have been in there with their robes and everything. And then a party crasher shows up. Luke chapter 7 a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Could you, can you imagine this? She's at a party kissing a man's feet. 
I think it would have sucked all the small talk out of the room. And you can read it in Luke chapter 7. It got weird. And people took offense. But she ignored the haters. And she worshipped Jesus. And she got a breakthrough. He forgave her sins and said, this story is going to become famous. So when's the last time you or I did something shamelessly audacious like that? Mm, never. <laughs> you know, if maybe we would start leaning into that, maybe we'd see more breakthroughs in the things we, where we really need to see breakthroughs. I don't know. If we want to get results in prayer, we've got to make a scene. So that's point number one. Point number two. Jesus starts to make it personal. This isn't just a story about some random guy needing bread. If we look at what he says, he says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. He's making this about us. Okay, got it, but I'm sorry. I just can't see myself as the doer in this story, behaving like this. I got, I got some hurdles to get over before I could make a scene. So that's our next point. If we want results in prayer, we've got to get over some hurdles. And I've got a few examples of some hurdles that I know I have that we're going to talk through now, and I'd like you to join me with a little self-reflection and see if any of these hurdles apply to you. So the first one's pretty simple. I've got my dignity. I have my dignity. I just can't see myself showing up at somebody's house at night, banging on the door, hey, hey, I need bread. And they come down, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Can I have some bread? I, I, it's just awkward. I can't see myself doing it. I've got my dignity. So, have you guys, are you familiar with the show Downton Abbey? A couple of you? All right. A lot of closet watchers who aren't fessing up to it, I think, right now. So, like, I'm thinking of the, the Countess of Grantham here, watching the scene play out. She's like, mm, oh, Robert, mm, did you see that man making such a scene? Mm, no. That's not how we do it at the Abbey. If we need something, write a letter. A formal letter. Send it by the post. Right? Okay, maybe, maybe we're not that extreme, but we, we think we've got our dignity to protect, right? Here's a couple problems with the whole dignity angle. First one... It overestimates our station. We are not God's peers that we need to worry about managing our dignity with him. Jesus often refers to us as children. Or if that doesn't work for you, how about sheep? He refers to us as sheep. Things not really known for their dignity. And the bigger deal about getting hung up on dignity is it underestimates the desperateness of our situation. I was thinking of like, we're like a person on a life raft in the middle of the sea. And a ship comes over the horizon. 
and we see it. We don't like do a casual wave like, ahoy there, lads. If it's not too much trouble, why don't you sail this way? No, that's not what we do. We see a ship on the horizon, and what do we do? We start jumping up and down. Hey, over here, save me! Goodbye, dignity. Hello, rescue. So here's a question for you. For the things where we need to see a breakthrough, am I ready to ditch dignity and scream for help? As a practical expression of this, if you think that this probably should apply to you, I want to give you a challenge for this week. And I really hope that some of you do this. Some point this week, I want you to scream at the top of your lungs, God, I need you! And I'm not screaming for real in here because I'm mic'd up and all that. But let me tell you, I did this this week with my daughter. We had to push through resistance. It's hard. Because you're thinking, well, people are going to hear me. They're not going to understand. I'm going to have to explain everything, why I'm doing it. Like, there's resistance. But I just challenge you to help put on this desperation and release of dignity. Just scream at the top of your lungs. And if you want to do it right here in the room or online, go for it. It's all right. No takers. Okay. <laughs> and one other thing. Maybe this is a little bit easier. Um, and we just kind of did it in worship. If you want to just do a physical expression of kneeling during worship, when there's other people around and they're going to see you doing it, and now what are they going to think? Are they going to think I got, I'm, I think I'm some super spiritual person because I'm kneeling or that I got issues? Ignore what people think. Just just some ideas to help physically express this ditching of dignity. All right, a second hurdle we might need to get over is the fear of imposing. Oh, I just don't want to be a bother. I hate to be a burden. Can anyone relate to that? Okay, I guess we can skip this point then. Uh, actually, Jesus deals with this in the, in the very next few verses, um, with an, like, a little mini parable. In verse 11, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So basically Jesus is saying, Look, your, your children don't agonize if they're going to come and ask you for some food. They got a need, they just come and ask. Boom. Simple, even for the little things. And, and if I'm honest, this one's tough for me. I think I tend to go to God in prayer for the big things in life, but not so much for the day-in, day-out needs. And I don't know why that is. He's certainly capable of dealing with the big stuff and the little stuff. My daughter Grace took her driver's test this weekend, and she passed. Here's a picture of her with her new driver's license. Something I need to add to my prayer list now. <laughs> but Friday night, before she took the test, she was really anxious about it. She was worried. And I didn't think too much about it. 
But I came into the family room later that night, and I saw my son-in-law, Kenny, with a hand on her shoulder, praying for her. There's other people in the room doing their thing, talking. He's just standing there praying for her out loud that she would have peace and good success on her test. And I just appreciated his example of like, I'm taking the little things. I'm taking the little things to God. Because you know what? That wasn't a little thing to Grace. That was a big thing to her. So I appreciate him modeling that. Like, we can't impose on God. We can't burden him with all of our little things. He can deal with it. So let's get over the fear of imposing. All right, next one I want to talk about is the hurdle of self-sufficiency. Bum, bum, bum. Who deals with self-sufficiency? Oh, man, you guys are so good. Liars. <laughs> so self-sufficiency is this idea that we should be able to handle everything in life that comes at us without asking anybody else for help, which sounds really noble, you know? I remember this guy I used to work with, my first job in Ohio, and one day he needed to borrow some cash. I don't know if it was for lunch. I can't really remember what it was, but I, it just killed him to have to borrow money from me. And I remember the next day he paid me back, and it was like dramatic, counting out, like one, two, you know. And like when he paid me back, then he like looked at me with these like intense, like almost quivering, so we good? We good? And like desperate to hear me say, we're good. He's like, phew. And he's like, because I don't owe nobody nothing. Like this worldview that we can go through life not owing nobody nothing, which is a deception. And if, if you identify with that, like, I didn't sew these clothes I'm wearing. I didn't grow the food I ate today. I didn't build this stage I'm standing on. Other people did it. I need other people like all day long, every minute of every day. I don't even leave reviews on Amazon. I just read what other people write. Man, I'm a taker. We need each other, and, and Paul is talking about this teaching on, in 1 Corinthians, he uses a great parable of comparing us to body parts. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. And if we need each other, we need God all the more. So for us self-sufficient ones, I want to give you something to think about. Here's a statement. Our level of freedom or reluctance to ask other people for help is an indicator of how readily we'll go to God to ask for help. So how about us? Here's a question. How quick am I to ask others for help? Think about that. Is that kind of the last resort for you? If it is, that's a spiritual watch out. Because that might mean we're dragging our feet way too long before taking things to God. Part of the process for putting these talks together is you have to give the talk from here 
to a small group of the vineyard staff, and then they critique it to your face. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> so uh, Friday night, I was like kind of overwhelmed, maybe overstating it, but I had this kind of this weight, like, oh man, I, I like to talk the way I had it. Now they want me to make all these changes, and I don't really have time for that, and I like the flow. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say, and it's just kind of a weight that I had. And I got a prompting. Call a friend from work and ask him to pray for you. Okay, so I called him, told him the situation. He prayed for me, and it was, it was like weird. We both felt like the power of the prayer on both ends of the phone. Like, wow. I had peace right away, and it was no problem then to rewrite things. And so just kind of an example that I'm trying to put this into practice, something that's hard for me being a self-sufficient person. I asked somebody for help. All right, the last hurdle I want to talk about today, I know this blocks me some from making a scene. It's kind of mundane. I just don't want to work that hard. I mean, that took some energy. Getting, going somewhere at midnight, making a scene, banging on doors, yelling real loud. I don't know. I, a lot of times I'm just a little too passive. That sounds like work. A few weeks ago, I was talking with my son-in-law, Kenny, and he was telling me about what he was studying in his Bible time, and it was one of these verses we looked at today, verse 9, when Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So Kenny was sharing that he was being challenged to be more engaged in seeking God's will, and that these three words, ask, seek, knock, which I always kind of thought of them as like, well, they're just three different options. You can pick one. He, he felt like he was supposed to combine them all, do all of them, which is a really cool insight. And so let me kind of paint a picture of what that might look like. Let's suppose, and that's a fill-in, um, ask and seek and knock on your handout. So have you ever misplaced your wallet at home? Yeah. Of course. But have you ever misplaced it when you're out somewhere? That's a big deal. Like you got your ID in there, your debit card. You need to find that right away if you lost your wallet. So let's picture someone. She loses her wallet at the mall. She needs to get it back. She's got a mission. Get my wallet. So let's say she starts with ask. So she plunks herself down in front of Aunt Annie's pretzels. That's where I'd be. And says, she sees somebody, hey, have you seen my wallet? No. Hey, have you seen a wallet? No. Hey, have you seen a wallet? I don't think she's going to get her wallet back. She's got to bring, you know, step up her game. So let's say she brings in seek now. So she starts retracing her steps, looking everywhere she's been, and when she sees people, like, hey, have you seen a wallet? She keeps looking, checking. Hey, have you seen a wallet? Okay, I think the odds of her getting her wallet are higher now. But if she comes to obstacles, barriers, closed doors, she's just like, oh, well, she ignores them. But what if, what if she adds in knock as well? 
And when she comes to a closed door, like, well, I was in that changing room before. Maybe my wallet's in there. I'm just going to try the handle. I'm going to knock on it. You know, could be awkward. Maybe somebody's in there. But pushing through resistance, asking, seeking, knocking, doing all these things, I put her odds of finding her wallet now at a Hondo P. That's Pastor Jimmy speak for 100%. All right? So do you get this, this progression of intensity between ask, seek, and knock? We're kind of like leveling up. Ask is pretty passive. You don't even have to get out of your chair to ask. Seek takes energy now. You're getting invested. Knock means you're pushing through resistance, barriers, which is important because I think we don't get a lot of the breakthroughs we need without pushing through resistance. So ask and seek and knock. Putting this talk together has challenged me and grown me in the way I pray. I've always tended to pray out loud because otherwise I'd fall asleep. Uh, but now I'm trying to pray more dynamically. I go for prayer walks around my house and now I'm like trying to like gesticulate and everything, which probably looks weird. Um, but trying to be more desperate in my prayer because that better reflects my true situation with God and I need his activity in my life. Another thing it's changed for me is a lot of times I would pray with what seems like noble humility saying things like, God, if, if it's your will, you know, I'd ask for something, if it's your will, which sounds really spiritual. But I don't get any of that from this bread story. Shameless audacity so now when I pray, I still want God to lead me into his will. But for the things I feel compelled to pray about, I just pray them. Big, bold ask. And I don't then water it down with, if it be your will. Just like the, the kid going to his father for food doesn't say, can I have some food, if it be your will. So maybe this feels like a stretch. But it, it feels to me like, kind of shameless audacity in my prayer to approach God like this. But I think that's where Jesus is trying to take us, stepping it up from passivity. If we want results in prayer, we've got to get over some hurdles. I want to close with one last story, uh, an example from the Bible. I, I think this being done really, really well. And this is not a parable. This actually happened, this account from Mark chapter 10. It says, As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This guy wants help. He's desperate. He's willing to make a scene. He's being pretty disruptive. And look what happens. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And this next question blows me away. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. 
the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to blank. You probably can guess what he asked for. But my point is, that's a blank. Whatever was in that blank, Jesus did for him immediately. I think the stage had been set because of his shameless audacity and the faith that it reflected that when Jesus stopped and said, what do you want me to do for you? That's what he meant. What do you want me to do? Whatever I think that guy asked for, Jesus was ready to do. The man said, I want to see. So, boom, he could see. This is a powerful scene. Bartimaeus got a face-to-face audience with Jesus, and Jesus asking him this question, what do you want me to do for you? How would you like to be in his shoes? If you could get there, what would you say? Rabbi, I want to. Only you know what goes in that blank. What's that can't miss prayer, that thing where you need a breakthrough? I want to stir up faith that we can get to that position that Bartimaeus was in. We can get in front of Jesus, having him ask us that question. If we will ditch dignity, get over our hurdles of self-sufficiency, not wanting to be a burden, if we'll ramp up the energy level and the intensity, push through barriers, push through resistance, bang on the doors at midnight, make a scene, we're going to get the breakthrough in prayer that we need. All right, we're going to move into prayer and ministry time. Would you stand? Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.